Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting, enthralling, interesting, and uh, we'll say wet episode of FNO InsureTech. <laughs> Did you Do, just say wet? I said wet. I said yeah. wet. It's today's, today is water day at yeah. FNO InsureTech. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's a, it's a out of this world experience. You, we're, we're, we're talking about flood today. Mm-hmm. And flood insurance and insure tech flood insurance. What do you think about that? I, yes, I was not real sure uh, what all we were going to talk about with a traditional flood company today. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of insured tech talk that can come out of this discussion. Yeah, we have with us today Jim Albert, who is the co founder and chairman of Neptune Flood Insurance. Neptune is an insure tech provider of flood insurance. And for those of you who don't know much about flood insurance, it is a, <laughs> oh, whoops, whoops. I'm not going to tell you what just happened because it's, it's my, my room is flooding here. Oh, well, that's a shame. Neptune Flood Insurance is an insure tech provider of flood insurance to the private market uh, in the U.S. And for those of you, uh, like I said, who don't know much about flood insurance, it is a complicated, complex, bizarre world that, um, that, that Neptune is making some noise in. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to him today about the difference in Neptune and NFIP. A lot of us, when we think of flood, we think of NFIP. And a lot of us don't know that there are private entities out there to sell flood insurance. We, we're going to get to talk about how he distributes his product, how he uses InsurTech tools to get quick and accurate underwriting. I mean, we're going to get to talk about all sorts of things with him today. Mm -hmm. and, and also about a guy who could have retired. Yeah, on the verge the, of retiring. When, when the opposite way. I'm sure there's days where he thinks, why did I fall down and hit my head and start a, <laughs> a private market flood company? Yeah. But he's done it successfully. He has a great leadership team, and we're going to hear all about that today. So um, do we have more to jibber-jabber about? No, jibber-jabber done. We can hop on into the interview. Okay, so without further ado, let's hey, Rob, get in. Yes, sir. Why don't we make a splash and jump into the interview? Uh you, sh you shouldn't have opened that door because you oh. know I'm not going to be able to resist jumping in. Hold back this, the waters because here we come. To this no, episode. Let's wade in nice. to our interview with Jim Alpert, the co-founder and chairman of Neptune Flood Insurance. Hey, everybody. We are here with our flood guest today. We have Jim Albert, chairman and co-founder of Neptune Flood Insurance. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Jim. 
Thank you, guys. A pleasure to be here. Where are you today, Jim Albert? I am in St. Petersburg, Florida, riveted to my screen, watching hurricanes move all over the map as they have been for about the last two months. Yeah, lots of hurricanes going on. I bet, like us, you're one of those people who are very a little too interested in hurricanes, aren't you? Well, I, I used to worry about just my house. Now I have to worry about everybody's house. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. a lot more mentally taxing. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you have a lot of houses to worry about. In fact, what what is your piff these days? How big have you guys grown? So we've grown a lot. We grew 250 percent in in 2019, 2020. We'll, we'll more than double in size again. We're sometime this month we'll hit 50,000 policies. First policy was really very late 2017. So essentially January 2018. So we've, we've gone from zero to to just about 50,000 in, in under two years. Well, lots of headaches, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, as well as lots of excitement. Are you finding that the more policies you get, the more policies you get, that there's kind of a critical, uh, like a snowball effect that's happening? You know, what we found is initially what we thought was it was absolutely directly correlated to the distribution platform. So helping educate agents that the that you can actually buy flood insurance in a two-minute process rather than the painful process of the NFIP. And having them test it out, they, they signed up in droves and they've become great, reliable partners of ours. And we continue to expand our agency platform. We're over 10,000 or so agents uh, nationwide. But the other thing happening is a lot of word of mouth that people really like the fact that it's an approachable brand. We try to speak in human language rather than insurance speak and acronyms. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been a, a principle from the beginning. Let's, we are a group of people and providing a service to other people. And we just try to emphasize that in our, even in the words and phrases that we use on our website and our communications. Let's jump in and talk about Neptune and hear about what it is that Neptune is, what you guys do. Take a couple of minutes and explain to us and to the audience, what is Neptune? So do either of you guys have flood insurance? I do not. I do, and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, then uh, then we'll, we'll hold that story for later. But, but if you've purchased flood insurance in the U.S., particularly over the last 40 years, you've gone through a process where you had to answer 54 questions. Literally, the application is 54 questions. You'd have to wait 30, day, 30 days to your policy to go into effect. An inspector would come to your house for whom you'd pay $400 or so. Just put that in context of in the middle of a pandemic, do you want an inspector coming to your house? Of, of course not. But the, the opportunity was there that my background's in technology, and I was looking at what was occurring in other industries and seemingly not occurring very much in insurance, which was the one-click process, the one-click buy. You know, you can do it in retail all the time. We've been doing it in retail for, for 10 years or so. But in insurance, is a very different experience, particularly in flood. And there's some pretty stark numbers. 87% of the people who have losses in floods in the U.S. have no insurance, no flood mm, insurance. Sure. Uh, even those in mandatory zones, which are high-risk zones, if you have a federally-backed mortgage, you are required to have flood insurance. Right. Well, only 25% of the people that live in those high-hazard zones have flood insurance. And they're, they're compliant, probably, because they don't have mortgages or whatever. 
But that's that's a huge risk. 75% of the people in high-risk zones do not have flood insurance. And in other lines like homeowners and auto, everybody already has insurance, right? Because it's mandatory. But in flood insurance, other than those mandatory coverage and high-risk zones, if you have a federally backed mortgage, very few people. It's like 1% penetration in the U.S. So Verisk, the statistical and advisory firm in the industry, they estimated and did a study that 62 million homes in the U.S., more than half the homes in the U.S., are at moderate to high risk of flooding. And there are only 5.5 million policies right now in the NFIP and the private markets. Really? So, yeah. So, so look at that gap. It, look at the difference. This, this coverage gap is actually, it's a recurring tragedy because every storm people think, oh, my homeowners covered my flood. Well, no, it didn't. And, or they didn't think they were at risk. And then they find out through Hurricane Harvey or Hurricane Sally or any of these recurring storms that are much worse than, than predicted they have lost tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're probably never going to get back. So it's this huge, huge problem, huge social problem. I saw some of those numbers when I started Neptune. I also saw the fact that that the industry needed some, there was an opportunity to provide advanced technology and a very different user experience. And so that's what we created. You can enter an address. In fact, you should test it. I did. You, you tried it, Rob. Okay, good. Good. And presumably it worked, but if you put your address in and within one second, we evaluate the risk, we apply the price, we calculate the aggregation risk, and we also apply it to a capacity provider and you have a quote. And within two minutes, you can buy your policy, you can sign your electronic documents, you can pay for it online and you're done. So very different than the traditional process. How is that possible? What are you doing to get the data you need to accurately underwrite these risks? Yeah, yeah, good question. So a lot of things changed in the last 10 years with high-speed computing and API-driven, and we'll go into that in a second, but API-driven access to data, the huge repositories of public data available. But if you can just set up application programming interface and set up an API, then we can call out to that data and have it brought into our system. So our underwriter is a very sophisticated artificial intelligence computer program. So you entered your address, Rob, when you did your quote, and we called out to 50 different data sources. We pulled in data on the flood risk, on the elevation, on the structural attributes of your home, and a lot of other things. And all those do the underwriting right then and there. So it's completely automated. So Jim, why would somebody buy a Neptune policy instead of an NFIP policy? Yeah, lots of reasons. One is ease of use. So think think about it this way. If, if you went to Amazon and you shopped for some clothes or whatever and filled up your cart and then you went to your cart and you clicked buy and instead a screen popped up that said, thank you for shopping on Amazon. An associate of ours will get back to you in a few days after we've evaluated you and we'll tell you how much the price is, you know, how much, how much would Amazon actually sell? Not certainly not remotely as much as they do right now. Right. And, and yet that, that example is actually an example of the best case in insurance right now that almost uniformly in almost all lines, the best experience you can have is somebody's going to get back to you. And sometimes in auto, 
50 people will get back to you from different firms and you want to shut off your phone and your email. So what we created for Neptune and flood insurance was that you don't have that experience. You can bind it right now and you can get your policy right now. And we provide information on our site of, about your, your risk and the process. And, and as a result, we develop this trust. So one answer really is ease of use. Another is pricing. So roughly two thirds of the time we're less expensive than the national flood insurance program. Hmm. And then, and then the third thing is that the NFIP has, has coverage caps of 250,000 on a home and where you are Rob in California, or certainly here in Florida or large parts of coastal Texas and the East coast, the average home uh, construction cost is much more than the cap of the NFIP. So it's this hidden thing of underinsurance that that people aren't right. able to get enough insurance to really cover their full risk, and very few actually go buy excess coverage or anything. So with Neptune, you can get up to two million in coverage on your home. You can get up to five hundred thousand of coverage on your on your contents, and a lot of people do that. And and there's some optional coverages which I won't go into detail now, but temporary living expense and replacement cost on things that that are just really appealing to shoppers for insurance. Help me understand this. I have been in the insurance world a long time, but I would imagine some of our listeners don't really understand flood insurance as well, or or maybe they live in a low-lying area, and they're wondering, do I really need flood insurance? My question is, how does FEMA, NFIP, Neptune, how does it all work? Because a lot of times people don't have insurance, but yet FEMA is out there, and people are able to go get money to help repair their home. Is that enough for people to actually repair their home after a flood or do they really need flood insurance? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. So if you look at the statistics of Hurricane Harvey, for example, so Harvey rained, what, 54 inches or so on Harris County in Texas. A lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was torrential. And the average loss was $116,000. More than 70% of those that had losses did not have flood insurance. And so what do you do? You go to you go and try and get a FEMA grant. Well, the average grant that FEMA provided was $4,000 in that storm. So oh, wow. you, you can run those numbers. You had over $100,000 average loss and the average grant was $4,000. And for most people, that's not a gift. It has to be paid back. Oh, it's so, a loan? It, usually it's a loan. There are exceptions mm-hmm. under which they'll they'll provide it as a pure grant, but that's really just to keep the lights on. No, if you even still have a house, but to keep the keep the lights on. So flood insurance is as low as a dollar a day. I mean, it's a one payment, but it, it works out to particularly if you're in a non-mandatory zones, you can have flood insurance for three four hundred dollars a year on a two hundred fifty thousand dollar structure. That's a pretty good deal, and and, right. the, and the average loss is is overall not just Harvey, but across the whole market, the average loss is on the order of fifty thousand. So five hundred dollars for fifty thousand, you're really getting a hundred years of coverage there. That's uh, that's a pretty good deal. Well, tell me this: so there's not a lot of flood companies out there. I cannot name very many companies that write flood only. Why is it that? A lot of companies do not write flood, but yet you decided to go into that market? Yes. Um, most of the ones that were in the market, particularly when we first got into the market, were ventures of larger companies that had homeowners lines. 
So they were checking out to see if there was opportunity in the private flood space. But in general, because it's correlated, if you if you have a loss on your home from a hurricane or a major, like a Mississippi River flooding event, you probably also then have a flood claim. So for the homeowner's insurance, that's a correlated risk and they don't really want both sides. And that's, that's my personal opinion. I, I don't have homeowners insurers telling me that's why they're staying out of it, but that's, I, I think that's a, a good reason. Did the government come in initially? I'm, I'm not that familiar with the NFIP history, but did they come in because I'm assuming the private market left or X'd out flood and so that there was no coverage because of how catastrophic flood is? Is that what got flood insurance started as, as an item? Yes. As a product? Yes. Yeah. The program started in 1968. It actually was initiated. It's an interesting story. The In 1927, there were these huge Mississippi River floods. And, and the guy that went in and, and was the big project manager to to work through all the, the fixes and recovery was Herbert Hoover. And that's what got him to be president shortly after that. But interesting. One of the things they did was that we need a national program that will protect people from these these acts of God. So that was 1927. 41 years later, the NFIP was launched with fits and starts along the way. But 1968, the NFIP started and eventually fell under FEMA. And what I mentioned a few minutes ago of the high-speed computing and the data analytics and the availability of data and user experience, all those things evolving dramatically in the late 2000, 2010 timeframe, all of a sudden flood became a modelable risk. And prior to that, it was very, very difficult to, to model. So the insurers would just take grievous losses. So they said, okay, we're, we're out. We, 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 can't, mm-hmm. we can't take this kind of catastrophic risk. So it became a federal government program. I think if you redesigned it today, you would never design it as it's set up right now, right? You've got a, you've got a program that's 90% federal government operated, whereas you've got private markets willing to take that risk on. Every time FEMA loses another $10 billion, which they certainly will this year, mm-hmm. they, that's, that's a taxpayer. That's who ultimately pays for it. Whereas if the private markets are willing to take it on, and they are because it's far more modelable than it was previously, then that risk shifts away from the consumer and the taxpayer over to the private markets. So the data has gotten better and better, and I assume more accessible and more accessible. It's easier for the private market to to underwrite and to assess the risk. Is, is right. that kind of the bottom line? That's right. Yeah. And there's some really sophisticated uh, flood modeling firms, you know, RMS, AIR. Sure. Cat, cat risk is exceptionally good. And, and a new one, um, firststreet.org, came out with a flood factor accessible site where you can evaluate your risk. All, all these are pulling in global models. Many of them include estimates of climate change and what the effect will be going forward. Um, and those are, those are accessible in a real-time API call, which is, which is exactly what we do, which is why you don't need to send it to a back room of underwriters who evaluate your risk and three days later give you a a yes or no, it, it can be done instantly. You know, I've been to the flood conference. Have you ever gone to the flood conference? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been there uh, four, five years in a row. Yep. Okay. And the first one I went to was post-Katrina. The name of the the conference was 
NFIP, it works. The director of the NFIP, the head guy, got up at the time to talk about how well it works and how that they were 20-plus billion dollars in the red, but it works. And I sat in the audience thinking to myself, what? <laughs> that makes no <laughs> You have this deficit that they didn't know how they were going to pay and, and who in the government was going to you know, cough up the money. And they're talking about how it works. And so I know that actuarially, flood is tough, right? Because like you said, the losses tend to be really big and widespread and many of them. I mean, if a city floods, you have a bad loss in every single home and business. So how do you overcome that? Is it hard to be actuarially sound? There's kind of a hidden fallacy, a couple of them here. One is that the NFIP has done an exceptionally good job of covering a risk that was not covered at all. So given what the, the state of the world in 1968 through 2005 or so, they were the only game in town and they, they just did a, a vital job of providing protection and recovery. The other thing the NFIP does is it encourages mitigation. So it works with the floodplain managers and they encourage Sacramento, where you are, Rob, is a big case in point of, of a very risky city with a network of rivers and, and flatlands, where they encourage mitigation projects, whether it's building levees or elevation standards or seawalls or whatever, you know, all these kind of things. They, they encourage communities to do and retention ponds and lots of things like that. So that that's one thing. But the other fallacy is that that people say that, well, if the NFIP would just charge an actuarially sound rate, then they would be making money or profitable, at least to the point that they wouldn't have to nail the taxpayer for $10 billion every year. But the fact of the matter is that the FEMA's problem and NFIP's problem is that they write every risk They've got way too much concentration in Miami-Dade and in Pinellas County and in Sacramento and in Galveston and Harris County and you name it, anywhere. Because they're 90% market share, any significant event will cause them significant losses. So yes, there's a way to be actuarially sound in flood insurance. One is by having a, a very diverse private market. And at this point, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners last year said there are now 120 private flood insurers in the market. There might have been five when I started Neptune a few years ago. Wow. Wow. Uh, and every state has a private flood option. Every single state, including Alaska. Wow. That is, uh, that is absolutely true. Is it hard to compete with NFIP? I'm sorry I keep asking all these questions about NFIP, but it's my reference point for flood. Well, they're really inefficient with their pricing. They've got grandfathered policies where people who came into the program years ago and got a whatever a $300 rate and they're they they can only cap their increases at a at a pretty low level every single year because of public policy in the in the NFIP bill. And that that number's down. I think it's it's somewhere on the order of 150,000 policies out of their 5 million policies are now grandfathered at too low rates. The other thing is their their mapping is still their their maps many of them are still 20 30 years old. So think about lidar mapping and all the advancements in digital mapping technologies and Google Maps and everything. Even your Apple phone you can know what elevation you're at. Right. So, and yet we're relying on, on flood maps that just 
put this broad paintbrush over the land and say, well, you're in an AE zone, which is a risk zone. And across the street, your neighbor, they're in an X zone. They're in a non-mandatory zone. They're much lower risk. Well, anybody can have a look at that and say, crossing the street does not take my risk, let's say a risk rate from $2,000 down to $400. It definitely, <laughs> that is not real. Right, right. <laughs> So it's really the the advances in technology help. The disaggregation helps a lot. Uh, for us having nearly fifty thousand policies, we're able to to at, we we make sure that we don't have too many policies for any one capacity provider in any mm -hmm. one locality, on one street, in one county, mm -hmm. in one state, and we spread it all out. So you, once you spread your risk, you can you can come up with with actually quite good numbers as as we've done despite our our size and scale at this point. So let's talk about the tech for a minute. You know, we're an insure tech podcast, and do we consider you an insure tech? Do absolutely. you guys cons yeah, consider yourself, define yourselves that way? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Talk about that. Why do you call yourself an insure tech? I'll give you one statistic that'll just kind of give it away. We're, like I said, nearly 50,000 policies. We're 20 people, the whole company. Oh, wow. If we double in size next year, well, maybe we'll be 30 people or something like that. So, so you can get really tremendous scale. Everything is automated. You think about all the media stuff about digital insurance during the pandemic. Most companies were gradually, eventually doing some digital underwriting or digital this, but it wasn't at the top of anyone's list until the pandemic. Well, we... We created a company that was fully digital from day one. Everything is online. Everything is e-sign. Everything can be e-pay. You can access everything online. You can deal with our chat and do automated servicing and policy administration. So all of that is enabled by artificial intelligence and API and advanced coding. Uh, that's what we've done from day one. What it's resulted in is still, it's the only site in the U.S. that you can go to, like you did, Rob, and enter your address and get a bindable rate. It's not an indicative rate. It is a real premium quote, and you can, you can buy that policy. Now, some states, like I think maybe California, we'd have to refer you to an agent, but, but most states that don't have diligent effort requirements, uh, you, can, you can buy it right away. Wow. Well, tell, tell us this. So with 50,000 policies in force, 20 people working there, how do you handle the claims? Whenever these storms come in and, and cause the damage, what do you do with the claims? Like Sally, I'm sure, was a, a significant event for you guys. Sally was a soaker. Yeah, it, it sure was. And total aside, I'll, I'll come around to your question, Lee, but okay. you, look, you look at what happened with Sally a storm that was moving at nine miles an hour, then six miles an hour, then three miles an hour, then one mile an hour. And it sat there for three days. Same thing with Hurricane Harvey a few years ago in, in Houston. Same thing with Florence over North and South Carolina a couple of years ago. So these, it, it wasn't unprecedented to have storms that did this. In 1934 or so, there was one that dropped 50 inches of rain on Texas. But to have them happen every year like this is really unusual. Climate change is real. And we can come around back around to that topic. But climate change is definitely real because the nature of the storms is, is, are very different. How we handle the claims, we're actively involved in every single claim. 
So, uh, and we try and automate that as much as possible, but claims is still very much a, a, a hands-on experience and people need empathy and they need fast action and they need to know that, be able to trust that we're going to be fairly and quickly get money in their hands to, to start to recover. So we focus heavily on that. We've got a person dedicated to it every single day. We monitor every single claim that comes in. We're on top of it. So let's talk about reinsurance for a minute, because obviously you talk about claims, you're going to talk about paying. Did you find when you went, you, you hatched this idea, obviously you have to go to the reinsurance market to, to be able to afford it. What was the reception you, you got there? You said that that private, there were hardly any private flood companies when you started. What did the reinsurance market have to say about it? It was very, very interesting. So, you know, roll the clock back to late 2016 when these first meetings are happening. And first thing I did was I went to London and met with Lloyd's Markets and pitched the story. Now, at that point, I'd been four years in insurance, many years in tech. But fortunately, my co-founder is a guy named Bill Martin. He's the now the CEO of, of Plymouth Rock Home Assurance up in up in Boston, but ex-farmers guy, ex-progressive guy, ex-travelers guy, and just a genius around insurance, distribution, the use of data and data analytics for, to provide outcomes. So he and I pitched Lloyd's, and they were really not fans of digital underwriting. They just didn't think that that underwriter called a computer could produce a reliable outcome without sending it off to the back room for, for human analysis. But, but they were willing to give it a go. So that was the, the revelation and the launch of Neptune was that, you know, somebody at Lloyd's, you know, took a flyer on us. And then lo and behold, you know, the first year, it, there hadn't been a cat in a few years. It'd been a number of quiet years. Of course, 2017 then has Harvey and, and Irma and Maria and and uh, 2018 has, uh, I, I, you know, was Florence, I think Florence was 2019, but Michael, any, yeah, Michael, right. And so we've had a series of pretty significant cat years since then, but the model has absolutely proven itself with excellent results. So, so digital underwriting is, is much more in vogue now, but it was to your question, it was, it was a little dicey in the beginning just to get buy-in from you know, organizations that are hundreds of years old and have always done it a certain way. And we're saying, no, no, wait a second. We're not going to, we're not going to just trust a computer on this one. Jim, I want to talk about you for a few minutes and what motivates somebody to do what you've done here, which is, I think, you know, a really interesting path. You're a tech guy. You were at bankers for a few years, which must've given you your insurance exposure. Yes. But you came out of that and into this Talk about what you were thinking. And I mean, you must have been at Bankers and said, wow, there's some interesting opportunities here. And how did it all start? And tell us a little bit about you. So I left Bankers in, in 2015. And, and at that point, I wasn't sure if I was going to just retire or was I going to do something else? I, I think really I was too young to retire, but I, at least I toyed with the idea. And my, my wife and I bought an, an RV and we drove up to Maine and spent a months there. But one day, and this was less than a month after I'd left bankers and, and we'd bought the RV and taken off, but it was a rainy day and we were sitting in a coffee shop in, in Maine. And finally we had some Wi-Fi service. So we're happily sitting there drinking coffee and, and on the web. My wife said, well, you've been quiet for a little while. What, what are you doing? 
I said, oh, I just started a company. <laughs> and it's actually that easy. You can do it right online. I realized that I, first of all, wasn't ready to retire. And, but also that these, these ideas that had been bouncing around in my head to bring technology into the insurance space and particularly into the flood space was just uh, really too good an opportunity. There, there's another side to it as well. And you know, one is, yes, it was a great technology opportunity. I've, I've spent a good part of my career in IT consulting, where we did a lot of front-end design and development for HP and Sony and Microsoft and, and others back in the day when everybody was first doing their first web work. And then also a lot around business intelligence and data analytics. So it, it was it was tying together something that I'd done from a technology standpoint. But also for me, I, I need to work in something that has a higher calling. And and to me, the insurance industry, and I'm sure you guys identify with this too, you see it every day in your company as, as you're out on the front line working in the claims world, you see the tragedy of how people have really been damaged by cats and fires and floods and everything. So why does the insurance industry have such a negative reputation? It's, it's, it seems like it's all one-off driven. But to me, what I'd seen is a lot of dedicated people really focused on providing people with important coverage, information about mitigation, um, how they can both prevent and recover from events. And to me, that, that has meaning. So here was a chance to apply technology as well as do something right that's really helping in a, in a line that, that has this recurring tragedy of uninsured people. So to me, it, it, it all kind of worked. And then, and then, so then I started the company and realized that first of all, I've never started a company before. <laughs> and there were, there were a whole lot of things that I suppose if I'd known them when I started the company, I, I might've said, this is just going to be too hard. But, uh, but we worked, we worked through all of them and, and really got it going. So it's a, it's a, a unique and special uh, opportunity that that we've been able to create. Well, I want to tell you about my experience with Neptune. So okay. I went online because honestly, I'm interested. I'm an interested potential customer. Uh, we live in Sacramento, and we have to. We're required to have flood insurance by you know the covenants of our mortgage. So we have an NFIP policy, which is relatively inexpensive because we've had it for a long time, maybe it's like, I don't know, four or $500 maybe. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so I went onto your, the Neptune website and I put in my address and I gave you my information. And then I got something that came up and said that I need an elevation certificate. Mm, we never require, something. no, we never require an elevation certificate. It might've said that um, in order, it, it might, what I'm guessing is that your property has a low elevation, but yeah. your, your house may be built up and it probably is. So if you have a crawl space or I do. or six or eight steps up to the front of your house, we allow agents the latitude to put in some of that information, but for consumers, not quite as much. And I think that's probably what happened was that an elevation certificate might have helped you where your pure elevation of the ground underneath your house didn't qualify. I will say that the elevation of the ground is lower than the river, which is about three quarters of a mile from my house. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a problem. Now, there's enormous levees that run down both sides, but yeah. we all know the levee story. 
So we say yes to addresses 91% of the time. Mm-hmm. Enter an address, you'll you'll get a quote. And unfortunately, Sacramento is a is a rough one. Actually, a lot of the underwriters in in London just say no. You can't write any policies in the zip code that is Sacramento. Yeah, yes, it's a tough zip code. And like I said, we are literally below the river line. You ever thought about living above the river line? (laughs) I have. And and I did for a long time, but I'm never going to get my wife out of this house. (laughs) And so that's just not an option. I thought about a tree house. Yeah. We could do a tree house. They're pretty popular right now. They're very popular, um, but but that's not but that's not happening. No. So Jim, just to bring it around back to Neptune, you guys are having success. We're thrilled to hear it. We have a lot of interest in the private market and where that's going because of our own business. And NFIP is this pretty locked up community of uh, providers and people. And so, where do you see it going? I mean, do you see that? companies like yours start to break the stranglehold that the NFIP kind of has on the flood market? I mean, you mu- it must be going on already if, if you have 50,000 policies in force. Tell us about what you see in the next few years with Neptune. The answer to your question is that where, where I see it headed is that the need for flood insurance is definitely not going away. You look at climate change, which we mentioned before, the 50-inch rainstorms on the back of hurricanes, the Wind speed of Dorian uh, tied a, a, a record for an Atlantic hurricane. Uh, we've had five landfall hurricanes already this year and a sixth in probably by Friday this week. Mississippi River flooding in 2019, if you, if you remember that. There were some towns that flooded for seven months. King tides, sea levels are up. They really are up six inches since 1950 and are expected to go nine to 20 inches more by 2050. Storms appear out of nothing, so it's not like the traditional one comes off the coast of Africa and they run in and you can see them coming for two weeks. Storms like Imelda and and even this one uh, Delta right now are just, there were rainstorms down in the islands and all of a sudden they became these big hurricanes in, in a day. So, so the need is definitely there. And as a result, people are hyper aware of flood insurance and and they're learning more and more we work with the real estate industry also they're learning more and more that that just because flood insurance is not required doesn't mean that flood insurance is not needed the market 5 million nfip policies that number was about the same 10 years ago so the nfip isn't really growing in fact it shrunk for most of those years the private markets, though, are on the order of 500,000 policies now. It's kind of hard to tell because the reporting is, is, not, is not uniform. But all the growth in the market is coming through the private markets. And, then, and we went from five companies or so to 120 companies just over the last few years. So with more and more companies and more and more distribution of private, with some of the ease of use of, of providers like Neptune and the, the better coverages and often better rates, the private market will definitely grow a lot. Whether the NFIP becomes a residual market of last resort, which is really, in my opinion, what it, what it should be. Sure, like the citizens of uh, flood. Exactly. Perfect analogy. That, that's really what should happen, but I, I, I don't hear a lot of political movement yet that, are, that is willing to allow that to happen. But, but it makes a ton of sense if the private markets and global reinsurers are willing to absorb a lot of the risk and take it off the public sector, then that's, 
that's a big win. So right. uh, the other thing happening related to your question is better and better modeling. So for example, in our modeling, we look at 50,000 simulated storms through one of our, our providers. It's exceptionally good, but they, uh, they look at 50,000 simulated storms. So you can see what would the loss would be. You can see that really everybody's in the line of a hurricane. Anybody on the coast is in the line of a hurricane, that's for sure. So with the improved modeling, there will also be more nuance to the pricing models and, and more flexibility in the markets. Well, and what does the chairman do beside podcasts? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a good bit of it. But you know, what we found was that the if you look at uh, startups and you see a lot of them have this inflection point at some point when they get to a certain size, and then all of a sudden the CEO either leaves or there's some dramatic change between the founders, and it, it's always a hard point in the growth of successful startups. Well, what we did at Neptune, my uh, initial investor is a guy named Trevor Burgess, who uh, was a Morgan Stanley guy and then started a very successful bank here in Florida and in 2008 that ultimately sold. And so he got interested in Neptune and then invested in the company and, and is a very active investor. Late last year, he and I talked and said, okay, well, we want to do a lot more um, brand recognition around Neptune and spread the word of this great company that we've built. And we knew we weren't spending a lot of time on that because I was so deep in the operations and we're writing a new policy platform and we're doing expansion to a commercial product. We now have a, a commercial product line that's available nationwide that there was definitely a need for a heavy operational CEO lead and also a need for someone leveraging the experience of the company to get out to more agents, more markets, et cetera. Um, so we, we sat down in a room and said, why don't we do this? I asked him if he was interested in being the CEO. He asked me if I was interested in being the chairman. And, and we both said, well, yes, let's, let's do that. So we got through that transition very seamlessly and he's a fantastic strategist as well as an operational leader. And I, I just feel really, really good that, that that side of the business is covered. I'm still heavily involved in that, but also involved in expanding the brand. That's cool. wonderful. So, Jim, let's talk about distribution. You had said earlier that you're able to sell policies through independent agents, but yet you also have a direct-to-consumer online presence. What do you do and, you know, how was it set up and what are you doing today? Right. Uh, good question. So with distribution, any successful insurance story is a distribution success story. And what we've set up is we're tied into carriers, into large MGAs and wholesalers around the country, and then independent agents at the retail level as well. Now, you mentioned the direct-to-consumer, and I talked about it earlier. The We have a direct-to-consumer channel. That's only 3% of our business. 97% oh, wow. of our business goes through the agent channel. But what happens with direct-to-consumer is hugely beneficial to agents because that's the place that people can go and enter their address and see what their flood insurance would cost them. And what we find the vast majority of the time is that people go shop there and then they go talk to an agent and, and, and we actually refer anyone that goes through our direct to consumer site to our agency partners. So agents, they win, they get active shoppers handed to them for 
for the clothes, and they do an exceptionally good job at it. Whenever you started the the company, was that the design, or was it actually designed to be straight to consumer? We knew that our technology would work with both, but from the beginning, we knew that agents would be the the primary channel. Even today, and the numbers seem to be all over the map, but the today in auto, I the most recent number I heard was that eighteen percent of policies are direct to consumer. Well, autos had direct to consumer for years, right? And still, it's only eighteen percent. So it's the same thing. The the agents, and in the case of flood insurance, the independent agents are just vital trusted advisors because people perceive flood as a complex sale. So, sure. so if they, if they think it's hard, even if they go through our site and say, man, that was easy, but wait, I've got a couple of questions. No problem. Please talk to an agent. And we give our agents lots of information to help educate people on flood insurance, but they are that trusted person because like it or not, people generally don't trust their insurance company. They they should. So the independent agent is a great trusted source to provide information and guidance to consumers. And as a result, as I mentioned, 97% of our policies are through agencies. And you get to those independent agents by marketing to MGAs? Is that your the play? No, we market to all of them, but they, they sign up. Many of them come to us and just say, hey, I, I've heard about Neptune and I'd love to sign up to be a distributor. No problem. We automated that too to make it super easy for people to sign up for Neptune. And and now that we have commercial line, we've got a lot of people signing up that do largely commercial business that hadn't signed up before that are coming on as well. So there are 10, 10 12,000 agencies across the U.S. at this point and, and soon to be many more that distribute Neptune's business. Well, we're thrilled to have had you on today and appreciate you giving us the time and, and all this information. We think that this is such a interesting part of the insurance landscape and to apply technology to it. I think you were absolutely right. There was a big problem with flood insurance. That's cool that you guys are solving it. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on. You've had a lot of my friends and colleagues from around the industry on your podcast. It's very well regarded. You just get great people on and you talk talk about great topics. So thanks so much for the opportunity. Well, thank you. And, thank and you. Uh, you're, you're a member of the club now. Okay. You're welcome. Great. You know, I pay that premium every year, that flood premium. Uh-huh. And every year when I do, I think to myself, Boy, I hope I never need this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the desire, right? To never actually have to use it. Uh-huh. Have you worked flood? You were you were a field adjuster for many years. Have you worked flood claims? I'm not worked for an actual flood company. I have done some flood claims, uh-huh. uh, but it wasn't like the FIP or anybody like that. And what do you have to say company. about a flood claim? Well, they're they're dirty. I mean, there's lots of water and they're they're complex. And it's hard to get somebody back to normal after, after a flood. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some flood losses. They're muddy and dirty and just, Mm -hmm. it's terrible, right? Yeah. Yeah. It really disrupts the entire life of the family or the person living there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's, yeah, it's a shame. It is. And so to have, you know, like to have upper limits, like I, that's one of the things I worry about with our policies, $250,000 limit, that could get eaten up pretty quickly. So it doesn't take long. It's interesting that Jim was thinking about retiring 
but instead he went literally in the opposite direction of doing yeah. something really start hard. Start another company and let's just Starting keep going. a company where there wasn't really a clear path because like he said, when he started, there were four private flood companies. So to do that is ambitious. Let's I say that. Let's say that. We, we wish him all the luck in the world. We're thrilled to hear about the success he's having, and I'm sure that will continue. I know he has a terrific leadership team there. We'll look for great things to continue from Neptune. And we thank Jim for being with us today. And thank you for being with us as always and putting up with Lee and I and our jibber-jabber. So until next time, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>